Good morning. Um, let us open our Bibles today to the book of James. We are in the middle of a sermon series through the book of James. This is the second in that series. So let's open our Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 9, going through verse 18. Uh, you can find it there in your pew Bibles. It says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fades, and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, give birth, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. For every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his, own, he will, uh, of his own will he, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind, a kind of first fruits of his creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, one more time, we give you thanks for this word. We ask that it would inspire us and challenge us when necessary. But more than anything, we ask that it would transform us so that we would not leave this place the same way we came. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In my family, May is a month of celebrations. So many great things, things worthy to be celebrate celebrated happen in May. For example, Mother's Day is in May. I have an amazing mom, an amazing mother-in-law who I call mom. My wife is an amazing mother to my children. Mother's Day is in May. My daughter, my niece, and my sister all have birthdays that happen in the month of May. My favorite daughter, my favorite sister, and my niece. I only have one daughter. I only have one sister. So I could call them my family. Several nieces, so I don't go there on that. Uh, school ends in May. Uh, all, the, all the high school students, middle school students, elementary school students, they know that's an amazing thing that happens in May. Parents, we have a different opinion, but that's okay. Uh, graduations happen in May. As a matter of fact, I am the proud father of the first in our family line of graduates. Angela just graduated from WT, and she is, if you draw a line from her all the way back through my ancestors, she is our very first college graduate, and I love that. I'm excited for what God has in store for her. Um, she's now looking for a job and perhaps going on to her master's and eventually moving out of the house, and I'm hoping we don't have to wait till next May, but that's a it's a different story. Uh, May is exhausting 
but I absolutely love May. And May sometimes is a beautiful distraction from the hard truth. And here is the hard truth. The hard truth is that we live in a broken world. Broken relationships, sickness, death, tragedy, division, racism, hate, hurt, wars, famines, sickness. You know the feeling. You've experienced it yourself. You've experienced the broken of, brokenness of this world all around you. And in the midst of our shared experience, the truth is, a lot of times, in that brokenness, we are looking for someone to blame for that brokenness. The Democrats blame the Republicans. But that's okay, because the Republicans blame the Democrats. The rich blame the poor, and the poor blame the rich. This race blames the other race, and the other race blames this race. And teenagers blame the world because they're just mad at everybody. And while we're busy pointing fingers at each other, trying to point out where the blame lies, James, in this passage, reminds us exactly where the problem is. The truth is, the problem isn't you, it's me. The problem is each one of us individually. None of us are innocent. I contribute to the brokenness of this world. Without realizing it, the truth is I'm the one who tries to put the fun in dysfunction. Some of you will catch that tomorrow. But dysfunction is still dysfunction. And while I try to blame you and others, I must recognize my contribution to the world's brokenness is the problem of my heart. My heart is the problem. I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there thinking, you know what, Orlando? Maybe your heart contributes to the brokenness of this world, but my heart is just fine. Maybe. But I think just to be sure, we should examine James to see what James tells us about our hearts of stone. Here's what James says. James says that my heart is part of the problem because first and foremost, my heart tries to find its identity in all the wrong places. Today's passage starts out with two very contrasting ideas, two very unconventional ideas, two ideas that you might not expect to hear. The ideas are this, that the poor should boast and that the rich should should feel humbled. Can I tell you something? I grew up poor. There were moments when we did not know where the next meal would come from. We lived in um, government housing, stood in cheese lines. We got food stamps. Not now with the cool Lone Star that looks like you're paying debit. No, we got the original food stamps that were green and pink and purple and blue. And when you paid with them, everybody knew you were paying with food stamps. We would buy the generic items at the store. And back then, all the generic items were what? Black and white. So we had a basket filled with black and white elements and then paid with very colorful currency. Everybody knew that we 
were poor. And the truth is, I can't imagine boasting in any of that. I also can't imagine finding being rich humiliating. The opposite ideas seem to be true in both of those cases. How does a poor man boast or a rich man feel humbled? For someone who's writing what amounts to be New Testament wisdom literature, it seems like James isn't thinking straight. Or is he? See, James is recognizing that it's very easy for my heart to find its identity in temporary things, like my socioeconomic status. I have fallen into that trap because of the deceptiveness of my heart. There are moments when I've thought of myself as less than. And if I'm honest, even moments here in this congregation, I get the blessing and privilege and honor of standing here and delivering the word of God. And I know that among us are doctors and lawyers and judges and teachers and representatives and senators. And that starts to work in my brain. And I think, how do you stand up there among amazing and successful businessmen. Because the truth is, if I compare my bank account to your bank account, if that is the standard, I am less than. Maybe you've been on the other end, and you've thought of yourself as better than, based on those very things, based on your level of education, based on the amount of money you have on the bank, based on the success of your business. Maybe you've stood on that other end and thought of yourself as more than. But here's the truth. Uh, the truth is our identity isn't in those temporary things. Our identity is in Christ. And if our identity is in Christ then truly we stand on a level playing field because guess what? You're just, a bad, you're just as bad a sinner as I am. So when James says, hey, let the poor boast and let the rich be humbled, he's saying those things that your heart tries to identify an identity in, put them away. Because the poor can be raised up because they find their identity in Christ. And the rich can be humbled because it's not about what they have. It's about their identity in Christ. The poor can recognize a holy exaltation and the rich can find a holy humiliation. Here's how Paul puts it in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in my bank account. Now, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My heart is part of the problem because my heart wants to find its identity in the wrong places. 
But that's not, only, that's not my only heart issue. My heart wants to find its identity in the wrong places, but my heart also desires wrong things. As James addresses the topic of temptation, he again, he again reminds us, it's not you, it's me. I'm lured away and enticed by my heart's desires. And the truth is my heart's desires culminate in what? Sin. We're lured away. We're enticed by our desires. And our desires, when they're fully conceived, when they finally mature, end up in sin, and sin leads way to death. Why? Why does what my heart truly desires lead to sin and ultimately death? Jeremiah 17.9 gives us a pretty accurate diagnosis of why. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ezekiel says, we end up with hearts of stone. Our problem is that we, we've grown up in a culture that teaches us to follow our hearts. And we do. Oftentimes right over a cliff into a cavern. Because my unregenerated heart, my unregenerated heart isn't led by faith and isn't led by grace. It isn't led by love or hope. My unregenerated heart is led by self. My heart wants to look out for number one. And no one has to teach us this. No one has to teach our hearts to look out and do what we want to do. It comes very, very naturally. Don't believe me? Look at a toddler. There's a great uh, graphic called A Toddler's Rules of Possession. It says things like, if it's in my hands, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you have it and it looks like fun, it's mine. If I looked at it first, it's mine. If you put it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. We get that. That's part of our very nature. The me, me, me syndrome. I want, I want, I want. And that's part of our very nature because our hearts are unregenerated. My heart is part of the problem because it finds its identity in the wrong places and desires the wrong thing. It doesn't desire the will of God. Our hearts have to be transformed for that. It doesn't desire what's best for our neighbor. It isn't looking out for those around me. My heart wants what my heart wants and my heart wants to make me happy too many people in our churches are following our hearts 
our terrible, unregenerated hearts. My heart's part of the problem because it finds its identity in the wrong place. And it desires the wrong things. But my heart's also part of the problem because it always wants to take glory that's not mine to take. I'm not going to lie. I've read this passage. I've been in church my whole life. I don't know how many. Hundreds of times maybe. I've read the verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation. Or shadow due due to change. Read it so many times. But I don't think it was until I was preparing for this very sermon. That the first part of that passage. Jumped out. And grabbed me by my ears and pulled me close. Do you know how the first part of that passage starts? He says this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Why in the world is James starting out a passage by saying, don't be deceived? Do you know why? It's pretty simple. Because oftentimes, we are deceived every good and that's a very important word every good and perfect gift comes from where comes from above i'm convinced that he starts with don't be deceived because he knows the condition of man's heart we want to take credit for anything good we have achieved or received hey look at all this good in my life it's happened because I'm smart enough it's happened because I'm talented enough it's happened because I have worked hard enough it's happened because of me We see an instance of this in the Old Testament. A king steps out onto his terrace and looks out over his kingdom. Sees all the greatness. It's like, look at all that. Wow. Impressive. He's like, I'm pretty good. All of this. Because of me, the king. And in that moment, God teaches him a lesson. And in that moment, the king who wanted to take credit for all of it, what happens? He literally goes crazy. And roams the forest like a wild beast. God was saying, oh, really? You don't think I hold all of this in my hands. Let me show you. Let me show you how much I don't 
need you. I find that amazing. I find it amazing that God doesn't need me. But he chooses to use me anyway. Really, it's all happened because you've made it happen for yourself? Let's take a little test. In our test, let's just say the omnipotent God of the universe decides to suspend the law of nature the laws of nature for the next 5 minutes and for the next 5 minutes oxygen ceases to exist tell me how far your talent is going to get you tell me how far your hard work is going to get you tell me how far your smarts are going to get you Tell me how far your good looks are going to get you. I mean, I'm good looking, but without oxygen for five minutes, you're not getting me anywhere. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17 remind us, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, everyone say all things. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things. Everyone say all things one more time. And in him all things hold together. James reminds us that our hearts are part of the problem because we forget that in Him and only Him all things are held together. You hold nothing together beyond the will of God. As much as my heart wants the glory, any good thing I have does not come from my self-sufficiency. It all comes from my Father. It's not you, it's me. My heart's the problem. My heart's the problem because I want to find my identity in the wrong place. My heart's the problem because I desire the wrong things. My heart's the problem because I want to take glory that doesn't belong to me. We're broken. Well, Orlando, if we're broken, what's the solution? Well, I can tell you this. I can't help you because I'm broken too. I will never claim to have all the answers. I have not found all the answers because half the time I can't even find my wallet and keys. I can't help you because I'm broken and you can't help me because you're broken. We're all in the same boat together and our boat is sinking fast and also on fire. We're left helpless. But we aren't left hopeless. The only solution to the heart issues that James addresses in this passage is to get a new heart. And we can't do that for ourselves. We can't do that for each other. But God can. Here's what our Old Testament passage says. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I 
will put within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And listen to this. And I will deliver you from your uncleanness. I can't deliver myself because my heart is part of the problem. And its only solution is to call out to God. To call out to our Father who gives every good and perfect gift. Who gave us Christ, His Son, to die on the cross in our place. So that our hearts of stone might be transferred and transformed into hearts of flesh. That we might be willing to follow His statutes and obey His rules. Yes, we are the problem. And He, our only solution. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for every good and perfect gift that you give us. We recognize that the problem of the brokenness of this world doesn't have to be searched for far and wide. It resides right here. Our hearts. Our hearts want glory that isn't ours to take. Our hearts have desires that are all about selfishness and personal wants. Our hearts find their identities in the wrong things. But only you can fix our hearts. We ask that you would do that transforming work through the power of your Son. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.